Hello, and welcome to the interview. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite. My guest this week is Casey Hunt, a CNN anchor who just launched a new show on streaming platform CNN+. The show is called The Source with Casey Hunt, and it features interviews with top figures in politics and panel discussions with journalists. It airs weekdays at 4 p.m. on the new streaming service. CNN Plus is a new home for Casey Hunt, who spent years covering politics as a reporter and an anchor at MSNBC. I called up Casey this week to discuss her new show, making the jump from cable news to a brand new streaming platform, and how covering politics has changed since she was first on the bus covering Mitt Romney's 2012 campaign. Casey, thanks so much for uh, joining me. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So. To start, could you tell us about uh, your new show? I would be happy to. Um, the great thing about streaming is that we get a chance to experiment a little bit, work outside uh, the box. So the show is a place where you, we hope viewers can come to get uh, an essential take on politics news of day with the smartest, most plugged in reporters and people who are actually out there running campaigns and elections, um, not just you know people who have opinions on, you know, the Democratic or Republican Party or whatever, but rather people who uh, are going to help us understand why things are happening, what they're seeing on the ground, uh, and and how it could play out, why they're making the decisions that they're making uh, in terms of the campaigns that they're that they're running. So, um, you know, I've covered Congress for a, a really long time, over a decade now, and hopefully, what I hope I can do is bring some of that expertise uh, to this every day, whether it's going out. Uh, and interviewing people, taking the shot on the road uh, for primary elections, uh, and or also bringing you know the best guests into the studio to try and help us understand all of that. So hopefully, you know, we don't have any commercials, so that's that's one of the big nice. benefits of streaming. Um, it makes it a little harder actually in the anchor chair because you don't get a break in between segments. But um, we hope we can give you a real really sharp to the point uh, conversation where you start to feel like you know you're a member of the family. You're sitting around the table with us as we talk politics hopefully in a way that's not as sharp and nasty as some of our politics have gotten in recent years. Um, but, you know, I guess we're going to have to see what the rest of what, what the rest of the, the this Biden term holds for us. So I watched the uh, first few episodes of your show. And what I really liked about it was the format of where you'll have an interview with a politician um, or a newsmaker, and then you'll discuss it. And you have a panel of journalists um, that you're uh, discussing it with. Should we expect to always see a panel of journalists discussing the news of the day on your show? Are you going to have partisan commentators or politicians join that that panel segment as well? Or is it mainly going to be reporters? Look, the focus is going to be on having reporters. I think we're going to experiment, try things out. Like I said, you know, I see a big difference between partisan talking heads and people who are actually running election campaigns. Right. Like the people that I like the, the show's called The Source. Right. It's like. I can't tell you who all of my sources are, but I know which sources are giving me the kind of information that's really good. And it's those kinds of people that I want on the show. So that may mean, you know, a, a, somebody that works for an outside group that's spending a lot of money doing polling in key battleground states, right? They have a lot of access to a lot of information that you and I don't have access to um, because they're paying for it. And now it's my job to explain to the audience, like, hey, this person is doing this from a democratic perspective. But the reality is a lot of the best polling we have right now is being done by internal outfits um, and in and so you have to take that into account if you really want to understand not just like what's going to happen, but why why campaigns make the decisions they make, why politicians say the things that they say, why they focus on issues that they focus on. Right. Like they're seeing a lot of information. And I view my job as trying to gather up all that information to help people understand like, hey, this is what's going on out there. Now, I feel like 
politics has has long been your beat, and like you know, viewers of, of MSNBC know you as someone who covers uh, you know big political moments. Um, whether it was on your your sh- uh, different shows on MSNBC, but I found the 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 scope of your coverage on the new show to be interesting because uh, the on your latest episode you have an interview with Chris Smalls, who is a warehouse worker who just won a battle against Amazon to form uh, the company's first union. What would you describe as like the the purview of subjects that your show is going to be covering? Well, I would say ask yourself what what subjects are our politics cover, and I think the answer is increasingly everything. I mean, you right. know, most recently education, I think, has really become um, central to the political debate in the country, and I see that as something that we're going to cover all the time. I mean, look, labor, business versus labor, is in many ways like the most clear distillation of politics uh, in the United States of America in a lot of ways. It was actually my first beat on the Hill covering labor and it was great. It was an off year. So it was, you know, you you, got to find something to do when you're a political reporter in the years in between election campaigns. Right. But I was assigned to cover labor. And at the time, Democrats were pushing to pass something called card check, which makes it easier for people to unionize. Basically, Um, I'm shorthanding a lot of it there. But all of the people that were working on it were political hacks, right? Like campaign hands, people that I was working with otherwise. And understanding the contours of that issue and the interest groups in that issue like gave me a, an amazing education. So yeah, of course I would talk to Chris, Chris Smalls uh, about the Amazon mm. union union thing because you know there's also tons of fascinating democratic politics going on in there as well because he's not working with any of the major unions, the AFL-CIO, the SEIU, those interest groups are very embedded in democratic politics. He's pissed off at the Democratic Party for not helping them enough, et cetera. Like, it's so rich. There's so much there. So, of course, I mean, it, it's it's something we would talk about on the show. And, you know, I think I think that's going to extend to a number of other issues, you know, for better or for worse. I mean, I, I think there are some things that should be outside of or above politics. But I think more, increasingly that's just not the case in America. And now you've you've had all of these like you've had such a fascinating career in journalism, and uh, you've done so many different um, you've held so many positions like from anchor <laughs> host to, to reporter. Um, you're on the campaign trail back uh, for uh, I think you were you were on Mitt Romney's uh, campaign bus, it was. Um, and you were you were leading coverage of that for the the Associated Press. Um, how did you get your start in in journalism? Um, well, it's. It's funny. I mean, I look, I went to college in D.C. Um, because I was interested in politics and international affairs. I actually majored in interna- so it's a international Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> a little bit. Deal. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I came of age. September 11th happened in my junior year in high school. Um, and that was a very formative event for me and for my contemporaries. Um, and so when I came to Washington, you know, that was where I focused. I was actually studying the way um, media impacts terrorist attacks, because that was a lot of what we were talking about, and and, and new ways in which terrorist groups could use media um, to either spread their message or communicate with each other, et cetera. Now, this has obviously turned into be like one of the biggest questions of our time across, right. uh, as it turns out, if you look at what's happening in Ukraine, uh, are much more traditional ways of thinking about warfare in addition to the new warfare that was, was asymmetric warfare that we were discussing kind of at, at that time. Um, but, you know, when you when you come to Washington, one of the great things is there's all these opportunities, especially during the year. So I was able to get an internship at NBC News um, working in their political unit um, because I was here, you know, not just in the summer when all the kids from Harvard would come into town and like take all the internships, you know. So uh, I was working here uh, in D.C. and doing that. And, you know, the thing about covering presidential campaigns, once you get that that bug, 
um, it's really hard to shake because it really does impact everything, right? So it's like if I went into it thinking I'm going to major in international relations, maybe I'll try to be a foreigner or a war correspondent at some point. You know, the people that are making those decisions about sending people to war are the people that are getting elected here uh, in the U.S. So, you know, I um, I had that internship. I, I went abroad. I went to Cambridge University and studied for a year. And when I came back, I got that first job on the Hill. And basically, I just knew I wanted to be a reporter. Like I wanted to be somebody. And this is sort of what I've put at the center of my career, no matter what job I'm doing, no matter mm -hmm. if I'm in front of the camera or behind it or writing for a magazine or a newspaper or wire service. I mean, I've written kind of for all of them at this point. The only thing I haven't done is like full-time radio um, is that you are providing, you are digging up and providing new information to your audience, right? Like that core skill of reporting is you can translate it anywhere. You can use it anywhere. And, you know, that was really important to me. Like the Washington Post wanted to hire me at one point for their digital efforts, but it was like, because I knew a little bit of HTML and I was younger than everybody else around. So they wanted me to like format the newsletter. And I told them, yeah, you're a big name. It's a fancy place, but no. And I took a smaller job at a publication called Congress Daily that was a reporting job, right? And so that's what mm -hmm. I did. I worked my way up from like small publication to small publication on Capitol Hill um, and ultimately landed here. So I was at Congress Daily. That's where I covered labor. And I also covered health care. I was in the right place at the right time. I covered that card check bill, which was great for politics. They were passing the Affordable Care Act. So there's more in my head about Obamacare than I think I would ever care to remember. But right. It's, it's right there for me to access should I need it. And today I'm going to do a special report on you know, President Obama's coming back to say, the White House to talk about it. So it's relevant so this that. week. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I did that. Then I went to Politico. I covered campaigns for Politico. I went to AP uh, and then I went to NBC News um, to cover campaigns. And it's just kind of been a natural evolution from there. And I, I do want to talk about uh, covering campaigns a little bit. But uh, before that, uh, I wanted to ask uh, a little bit more about about making the transition to streaming. Sure. Um, so, you know, before, uh, CNN, you were, you were an anchor at MSNBC, you hosted a few different shows. What was it like making the transition from cable news to a streaming format? Do you prefer like hosting a show on streaming? <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I've only been hosting a show on streaming for like under a week. For like five days. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, ask me again in a few months, but I will just uh -huh. say that I think that the exciting thing about it is, um, that there are no rules. You get to make up the rules as you go along, right? Like CNN mm -hmm. kind of invented the cable news format in 1980 when they launched um, and started doing 24 hour news. And now it's a, there's a real plug and play aspect to it uh, because the viewers know what they want. Like they expect a certain thing. And um, you know, that's what, what they, what you, what you're given. I mean, there are some small differences, obviously, or major differences, I guess, depending on how you look at it. But when you think about the fundamental format of segment, commercial break, you know, guests, commercial break, that, is sort of set across networks. We don't have those limitations in streaming, um, which is fun and also challenging. Um, you know, this it's it's not a thing where people are turning you on and putting you on in the background, which is happens a lot with cable news. Uh, people mm. are coming in and tuning in specifically for a person um, or a show. And so that's both, um, daunting <laughs> and challenging mm -hmm. because you got to make, you got to give people a really good reason to turn it on. Um, but it also is, I think more rewarding to be able to kind of create something from the ground up that reflects you. Uh, and it just sort of was one of these chances where it doesn't come along very often that you get to be part of creating something new. Right. And, um, you know, not to get too, too much into the, the internal dramas there, but you were obviously hired at CNN Plus when Jeff Zucker was still running the show as part, he made this sort of big bet on, on CNN making a move into streaming. Did it worry you when he was sort of abruptly pushed out of the network a, a few months ago? 
Well, I mean, look, I, you know, I asked uh, Jason Kyler, who's the CEO of AT&T at a, an internal meeting here, you know, how it was mm. going to impact CNN Plus, because I knew people would be would be talking about it and be asking questions about us. Right. And, you know, he sat there and took questions from, you know, members here at CNN. But I, what I will say is that in the months since then, it really has been full steam ahead business as usual. I mean, I, I, I will say mm. that um, the, the, the person who, who really hired me here is this woman named Rebecca Cutler, um, who... Uh, you know, I, I spoke to Jeff, obviously, when I was in the in the hiring process, but she really has been just such a driving force behind all of it. And none of that stopped uh, just because of, of what happened. And I would just say from a personal perspective, also, I missed a lot of the drama because I was out with brain surgery. Um, right. I had got a brain tumor early last year, so I only got to spend about a month at CNN before I had to take sort of an extended medical leave to do that. Um, and Jeff was very personally supportive of me, which I really appreciated, mm-hmm. um, you know, and for that reason, I also wasn't like terribly read in on, you know, everything that, that we all learned about later. And I should ask, um, uh, how is your, how are you feeling since <laughs> uh, that surgery? I'm good. I'm like 90, 95%, yeah. depending on the day. Yeah. It's, I regularly, okay. I, I think what That's I've been saying hear. is that I regularly forget I've had brain surgery now, which is just, right. I mean, honestly, most people, many people who find a brain tumor the way I did, you know, that the outcome is different or they find that when they take it out, it's the beginning of a really long and difficult journey. And for me, the, because the tumor was benign, it was a short, it was the end of something. So I'm just like, right. Very, very grateful for that. Well, they, they don't tend to be hosting their own, their own streaming show. Well, <laughs> you know, or if they're, yeah, they just, they've got a lot more to worry about. So. <laughs> right. Um, now, do you think these kind of streaming platforms like CNN plus, do you think they're the future of how people consume video news? I mean, I have to think so. I just, you know, I, I joked, I was talking to somebody else about this, that, you know, my parents don't even have a cable subscription and I am was a cable right. news anchor, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. and <laughs> I mean, they figured out how to watch me, right? But like when my husband and I sit down to watch TV in the evening, you know, we're not really turning on, even we're watching sports on streaming, like, yeah, it's live. Um, and yeah, we have to sort of figure out how to pay for all of it and cobble it together. But it's it's just kind of the way of the future. Like, I, I think that that's just how we're going to be doing it. And I, again, like one of the things I feel like, you know, I, I don't know that I really thought this way as it was happening, but I, I sort of did. It's like, if I'm being a reporter and I'm bringing you new information, like you're going to figure out how to access it if you need it, no matter where I am, it doesn't matter right? what, what platform, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, where the bits and bytes are flying, like whether they're going through tubes or through the air, like it just doesn't matter to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like all my friends watch streaming, so I'll be on streaming. I mean, CNN is like the news brand, right? Like you want to, you, if you've got like an Apple TV and you're kind of like, well, I should probably get like news. What do you think? Oh, I'm going to get CNN. I'm going to sign up for that. That's what I would do. Right. Yeah. I think like the most compelling argument I've heard for it is it's similar to the way a lot of people have just started to subscribe to the New York Times as, as their the source of news that they pay for. And if you think of the video alternative of that, it would probably be CNN. That would be your idea. I think my bosses um, would, would subscribe to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've probably heard one or two of them say that before. <laughs> uh, now, uh, just to, to go back to the um, the sort of what you're going to be covering on the show and the kind of guests that you're going to have. I remember last year there was a big debate among. It was mainly among the Sunday Show hosts, like Chuck Todd and Chris Wallace about whether to interview Republicans who supported Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Election denialism is still still very much a thing. Um, what's your position on interviewing election deniers? Are, they the t- are you going to have them on your show or are they basically not welcome? So here's what I'll say. I think it is a case-by-case situation. 
and I say that because I think two things are like, actually, let me put it this way. There is one single thing that is of paramount importance to me. And that is that we continue to live in a functioning democracy where people's choices about who they elect are viewed as fair, they're respected, and that that's how we solve and address our problems. That's how I, it's why I'm a journalist. I feel like I want to be able to provide people with the information to make up their minds on who they're to vote for, and that that is a critical piece of our overall project. I'm a very patriotic person. Um, I've always been very patriotic, and I feel like that's at the heart of what America is, and protecting that is extremely important. So from that perspective, if there are people out there who have no, you know, or have marginal decision-making power um, or influence on other people's lives, aside from the inflammatory things that they say or the lies that they spout about the election, I have no interest in speaking with those people. However, there is a very significant challenge when you are faced with somebody who uh, is in a position of power and is affecting Americans' lives by decisions that they make and the actions that they take. Somebody like Kevin McCarthy, for example, who may be set to be the next Speaker of the House. I would like to have Kevin McCarthy on the show uh, because I, I, if he's in that position, he's going to have a lot to answer for. And I think that you are missing an opportunity if you fail to uh, hold those people accountable for what they are doing day in and day out. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that you don't challenge them when they do show up on what they say. Um, so I just think you have to be very careful in how you select and who you choose. Uh, and that's how I'm, you know, that, that's the mindset I'm going to bring to the table when I'm making those kinds of decisions. Do you find it's harder to cover DC now in the post-Trump era? Like, do you find that politics has gotten considerably more truth deficient, uh, combative, um, in a way that makes it hard for a journalist to cover cover the Capitol? I do. I mean, I think I don't. I don't know if I would use those exact words to describe mm -hmm. what's happened, but I think it's just. Um, it used to be a place where there were some basics that most everybody agreed on in terms of how you conducted yourself, uh, what it meant to be a person of decency and integrity, um, how those things were valued, um, the fact that everybody the basic assumption was that everybody wanted the best for the country and that they held a conception of what, of what that meant, like what the country meant and that they were going to put those interests first and ideally above their own. Right. Like I have covered my share of scoundrels and jerks and people who've had issues of corruption, but I've also covered people on both sides of the political spectrum, people who believe different things, but who are fundamentally good people who come to Washington because they want to change the world or influence the world. And, you know, some of the best ones actually come get a taste of power and don't let it change who they are, right? That's the rarest form of it. I feel like that sort of basic understanding has really um, shattered in recent years. And I think it culminated on January 6th and it hasn't gotten any better since then. You know, there's a real um, lack of trust in not just like the other side's ideas, but the, the motives, the intentions um, that makes it impossible to have legitimate debates. Um, 
obviously it was Trump supporters who used violence on January 6th to beat up cops. And they're the ones that are now saying essentially that it didn't happen the way that we all saw right. it happen. Right. Right. Um, and, and it's really hard to get past that at the end of the day. Now, uh, in your first episode of The Source, uh, you interviewed Mitt Romney mm-hmm. um, about the state of the GOP, how the Biden administration is is dealing with uh, the war in Ukraine. And as we noted earlier, you have some experience covering Romney um, <laughs> yes. in 2012. Do, you know, speaking of what you just said, do you think he has changed at all since 2012? Because I think if you talk to a lot of Republican voters, they would consider him as having betrayed the party. Do you think he's changed at all, or do you think the Republican Party has changed? And that might be too obvious a question. But Honestly, I'm in the I think that the main reason he had a problem during his two election campaigns was that he was trying to mold himself to be what he thought the Republican Party wanted. I mean, if you remember, he first ran in 2008. I didn't cover the 2008 campaign, but mm-hmm. he was tagged as being a flip flopper because he was trying to attract conservative voters after having served as governor of Massachusetts, where he put through a you know state based healthcare plan that many people would argue is the, you know, uh, underpinnings of Obamacare, basically. Um, you know, he, there were questions about his uh, abortion record or his, his wife's support of abortion, et cetera. Like there were all these places where, you know, he, he went from being the, you know, moderate Republican governor of a blue state to this someone who was trying to win conservatives over in a primary election. I think, one of the challenges and why he got labeled as a flip-flopper was because there were people who saw through that. Now there was a lot else going on, right? Like evangelical voters had a lot of questions about the fact that he was a Mormon member of the LDS church. Like I'm not saying there's like a one size fits all description here, but I think he was trying to bend himself to a party that was moving in the direction that we've seen it move. Um, And, you know, you saw that like attempt at contortion throughout the presidential campaign. What I see now is the person that we all got to know covering him, um, actually doing and saying what you would expect that person to do and say. He is still mm-hmm. conservative. I mean, he's been a conservative all the way along. I mean, he's in, in many ways a like conservative with a small C. You know, he's a very like nuclear family man who with, you know, who spends all, all of his time and energy with, you know, that he's not spending on politics with his wife and his four, five sons and all of their grandchildren. Um, he I think is acting the way I think he's, he's finally reached a point in his career. And I asked him in that interview, if he was going to run for president again, he said, no, you know, he fits much better in that elder statesman role, I think from a personal perspective, um, Mm. than he would, than he did in, in the one where he was trying to channel, you know, those energies that, you know, Donald Trump lit on fire. I mean, I remember in 2012, he put Trump robocalls out in Michigan. He had Trump record a robocall for him. Right. Um, yeah. He stood next to him. I was I covered the event when he like accepted Trump's endorsement at Trump Tower. It was incredibly awkward and hard to watch because they are like oil and I water. I can only these imagine. Yeah. Right. It was very very strange to witness. Um, you know, but that was his attempt to harness that energy, and he failed at it. Right. Because right. He just th- there was it's no just not his thing. there was no connection there. Um, right. And it's understandable as to why. So, yeah, I think that the one the, the, the real Mitt Romney has, in fact, stood up, you know, and it, it's interesting because I remember after we finished covering the campaign, everyone's like, oh, Romney, he's so stiff and like not himself. And, 
you know, everybody watched this Netflix documentary where he was, you know, trying to iron his own clothes while he was wearing them. And everyone's like, oh man, he's so relatable. Like, where was that guy? <laughs> you know, I think those of us who covered him on the plane knew him to be that guy. I mean, that, that was authentically mm. who, who he was. We saw that. It just didn't connect with what he was saying in public. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of my, it's my, I'm not a psychologist. Those are my two cents on Mitt Romney from observing now, him for many years. You, you've also covered uh, Trump for, for, for a while. I think uh, your, your first interview with him was, was in 2013. Yes. And, Very um, good homework. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I did a little bit of research. Uh, d- how much do you think now that, now that Trump's out of office, he's down trying to steer the Republican Party from Mar-a-Lago, how much do you think we should be covering Trump? Um, as hmm. reporters, as in, on well, you know whether it's cable news on your own show, how much ink should Trump be getting these days? Well, you know, I think my question is just how much influence and control does he still have over the Republican Party? And right. the answer to that question is what should determine how much he's covered, because the reality is that you know we are still a fifty-fifty country uh, as much as. You know, it seems like there are obvious things that we should all agree on. When people go to the polls, about half of them are going to vote for the Republican Party and about half of them are going to vote for the Democratic Party for president. That's just the reality. There's a very slim and getting slimmer group in the middle that ultimately is going to decide our elections. So that means you can't ignore the entire Republican Party. You can't just say, sorry, we're not going to cover you. We're not going to talk about you or to you. Um, that's just, just a recipe for further division. Um, but, you know, I don't think that, I think it's important to make sure that you are not giving, I'm not sure exactly how I want to say it. It's like Trump got a lot of news coverage by saying the most outrageous thing of anyone. And that is, I think, the place where you start to get into dangerous territory. Um, I don't think that just because somebody says something loud and obnoxious and offensive, that that means that we should spend a lot of time talking about it or covering it. Um, There's a lot else there. Uh, Now, the challenge with Trump is that, you know, when he was in power, he was in power. He had the nuclear codes, right? There were questions about a peaceful transfer of power. And look, it came to pass. Right. I mean, one of the things that I learned covering Republicans through the four years of Trump being in office was, you know, they pretty much didn't believe the bad, the worst version of events that could happen would happen. Right. They were always like, oh, it's going to be fine. Like the institutions are going to hold. And I believe that, too, for a long time. Um, I still think it's possible that in the long run, that's that's what happens. Um but we are in the thick of the history that is going to determine whether that's the case or not. Like that question in my mind still has not been answered. Um, and that's why I think, you know, you do have to pay attention to what Trump is doing and what his supporters are doing, because as Romney said to me in his interview, he thought he thinks if Trump is reelected in 2024 or some future year that, you know, NATO is going to, fall apart, basically, like the world order as we know it is going to fall apart. So it's like, you can't ignore that, right? But you also need to temper how you handle it. Um, and, and it's a very tricky balance. And you just, I, I mean, honestly, in live television, it's like minute to minute, finding the right balance. Right. And I assume that means that, that you think that if Trump did run again for 2024, 
that you think that the media should cover him a little bit differently, at least than they did in 2016 and 2020? So look, I can't speak for quote unquote, the media. I can only speak for myself. Right. I mean, I, um, I, I think that it's incumbent on me to make sure that I'm presenting to people the full view of what's available to them in terms of their choices for, for president. Um, and I think that means including, you know, context, whether that's around, you know, his, if he's holding a rally, uh, making sure that there's context around that in terms of making sure that there are equal opportunities to do interviews. On the flip side, I think some of it's on the campaigns, right? Like, so a lot of the Republican campaigns were very frustrated with how Trump was covered, n- not because, you know, they t- like to talk about the quote unquote liberal media, but they were angry that Trump was getting so much coverage when their Republican campaigns were getting less coverage. Part of that is that the way that Trump interacted with the media was different than the way they were interacting with the media. And so, you know, I hope, you know, there are a lot of Republicans out there. Most of them won't say it publicly, but man, do I hear about it privately. Don't think that Trump was good for the country. Um, disagree with him in many ways. Um, Want to see different kinds of leadership. Like, I hope that like, it's incumbent on them, too, to learn the lessons uh, of the Trump years and the way he interacted with things as much as it is our responsibility to be responsible um, and careful and and thoughtful in how we um, cover these campaigns going forward. Casey Hunt, thanks so much for for coming (laughs) on the, the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Check out coverage of my conversation with Casey Hunt on Mediate.com. 